to be abound by his word. So we, uh, we know that God is good all the time. Amen. Amen. And so continue to remember the, the prayers and the, the needs of the saints, the church, the body, those that we're connected with. Amen. And uh, our country, our society, this world, it needs Jesus more than ever. Amen. As we are staying, we can go to the word of the Lord tonight. The book of Judges, the second chapter, start reading verse 10. And also that, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which had done, he had done for Israel. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the God of their fathers which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, the gods of the people that were around about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Amen. Tonight we're continuing in the series that we started last week entitled The Turning of a Nation. The Turning of a Nation. Amen. As you're seated, turn and wave to a few people and you may be seated. And last week we began the series discovering that the turning of an entire nation away from God is not something that happens quickly, but it happens slowly and it takes time to accomplish and to get to such a place. However, the destination of living a life that is distant from God can happen with a single choice. One wrong choice today, one wrong choice tomorrow, can slightly alter your course by one degree or half a degree, which really isn't noticeable at first in the beginning hours of it, but it is manifested over time as time progresses, maintaining that course of slightly off by a degree or two, uh, after days and months and weeks and years, you can be way off course than where you should be. And we talked about the potential dangers that can spring up forth from the very blessings that God gives us. And from the prayers that we've been praying for and that God finally answers, if we are not continually praying and watchful, and seeking the face of God, then the blessings of God can numb us for our need for Him. Because we've got everything that we think that we need, and so our immediate need uh, for Him and to seek God out and to find a place of prayer and to petition the Lord, that seems to go away when our needs are met. At least the ones, the big ones that we've been praying for. And so if we're not careful... Uh, the very blessings of God can cause us to turn from Him. And with the turning of the nation of Israel, we traced the turning back, not to some great sin, but we believe to the inheritance of the promised land. And God finally fulfilled that promise, and, and they inherited that land, and they came in and conquered it, conquered the people of the land. Uh, and we, we discovered that the parents failed to teach the next generation about God and all his works because they were probably 
so caught up in all the blessings of this new and abundant life that they were now living. What was the need for God when you got the promised land, you got the deed to your land. And so there was a turning in their hearts. And once a heart is turned, then it's only a matter of time until the home becomes turned. And when enough homes are turned away from God, then too will the nation eventually turn. And so that is where we go tonight. We go uh, to the hills. After hearts are turned and after homes are turned, then the turning is displayed and is declared in the hills of the city. When our private lives have turned, then it flows out into the public streets and into the public realm. And the turning is seen and heard from the hills of power, from the billboards of the city, if you will. And what a nation will publicly broadcast and allow on its billboards and on its screens and on its public airways is a reflection of what is already in the hearts and in the homes of the people. If something is placed on the hill and there is a public outcry and a public backlash, then it will most likely be taken down and be dealt with. Because that message does not resonate with the people. It does not sit well with them and they haven't allowed that to actually enter into their homes and enter into their hearts. And so they declare, the people declare, we don't want that on our hills because it's not in our homes. And we won't allow that in our homes, so we don't want that on our hills. And so, but if the people are silent and they don't say anything about what is publicly broadcasted and displayed on the hills, then that means then that they are in agreement with it. Even if we don't agree with it or, or even if we completely reject that idea, how will they know if we remain silent? And so that is the power of the voice of the people. Once, once we speak up uh, and declare what is right and what is wrong or what, how we view that, uh, if enough people speak up, then the, the public will hear and maybe something will be done about it. But if, if, if people do uh, nothing and remain silent, then whatever they're broadcasting and whatever they are displaying, they will think it's fine because they have no backlash or they haven't gotten enough uh, feedback uh, against it. And so we see this taking place in the nation of Israel, Judges 2.12, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Now this is coming off the heels of what we talked about last week, how it was within 20 years, and one generation that rose up, within 20 years or so, the nation of Israel has turned from God because they don't know God or know the things that he's done. And, and they are uh, provoking the Lord to anger because they're forgetting about God. And now they are serving Baal and Ashtaroth. It's not that they're not serving gods. 
They're just not serving Jehovah. Baal is the sun god, and uh, as, as such, it was viewed as the source of physical life, as the sun brings life to this world, the plants and the animals and all the things we need the sun to live. Uh, Baal was viewed as the sun god and the source of life and of the reproductive power of nature. Astaroth was the female deity of the Canaanite people. She was the moon goddess, and so if Baal was on duty during the day, Ashtaroth was on duty at night. It corresponded with the Greek uh, goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love and of beauty. And so how would you be able to tell if somebody was a Baal worshiper or an Ashtaroth worshiper? Sure, I guess you can peer into the windows of their home and, and listen to see how they pray or what they do. Uh, but uh, Baal worship and Ashtaroth worship was more of a public display of worship. You didn't really do much at your home. You could, but they had uh, public temples for them to come and worship, kind of like how we have a, a, a sanctuary where we gather together here. Uh, they obviously had something where they gathered together dedicated places. But Jeremiah reveals to us certain things that were done uh, by the children of Israel in order to worship unto these gods. Jeremiah 7, 9, Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not? And so here we get uh, a description of what the Israelites are doing in relationship to their worship to God, they're stealing, they're murdering, committing adultery, swearing falsely, uh, and many more things they were doing in their worship towards Baal. Jeremiah 19 and 5, they have built also the high places of Baal. There we go, it's in the high place of the city. To burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, Neither came it into my mind. It's pretty bad when God says, it doesn't even come into my mind how you guys can go out and sacrifice your children to these gods. And so all of those things were done to worship these idols, these false gods, and combine that with temple prostitutes. Worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth was not really a private event. It was committed in public, broadcasted from the hills, so everyone could see and know uh, what God that they were worshiping and uh, who they were following. And so if God is not sovereign over the land that you live in, if the one true God is not sovereign over the land and over its people, then the land and its people will then become cut off from their creator. If, you don't, if the people don't acknowledge God as the one true God and their creator and their savior, their redeemer, uh, if they don't do that, they don't worship him, then they are being going to be cut off from the very God who did all of those things. And so this is what Israel's creator, Israel's deliverer, Israel's redeemer told them to do even before they got into this place, into the land of promise, even before they started worshiping. All these other false gods, this is what God told them. 
Deuteronomy 28, it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shalt thou be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of the kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall be thou when thou comest in, and blessed shall be thou when thou goest out. And so basically God went ahead and told them, Every area of your life is going to be blessed. Every part of it, from your coming in until your going out, from their fields to your fruit vines, uh, every part of your body, uh, every part of your uh, life is going to be blessed if you follow the commandments of Almighty God. And where did the Israelites go to get blessed? Scripture tells us that they left God and they went after, sought after Baal and Ashtaroth to be blessed because they bought into the lie and the deception that Baal was the God of life, the God of sun, and the God of blessings. And so they sought after him. And one God says to live a separated and holy life, but these other gods say, go and do what you want and have a good time doing it. And so you choose the gods that you want to serve. And so how does that happen? Uh, well, a God-centered life and God-centered worldview is then replaced by a man-centered worldview and a self-centered worldview. When you stop thinking about God and you stop worshiping God and stop seeking God and his counsel and you stop uh, searching the scriptures to figure out how you need to live and, and what choices you need to make. When you stop seeking after God, then you, you are intent telling him that I don't need you anymore, that it, now I'm following after my world, my worldview, uh, and it's going to be self-centered. Jehovah's harsh and intolerant commandments are then replaced with ones that are open and understanding according to this worldview. According to a self-centered and, and man-centered worldview, uh, Jehovah's commandments are harsh and they're too hard and they're too strict and they're, they're intolerant and, uh, uh, and uh, our feelings uh, they go against our natural feelings and what we really want to do. And so the people of Israel drove God out of their lives to become really their own gods. Masters of their own land. We'll handle this ourselves. We'll figure out how to plant our, our gardens and how to bring the water in. And even if it doesn't rain, we'll figure out how to channel it in and dig trenches and naturally let this come in because that's what Egypt did. Egypt learned to live without God in a, a man-made and a self-centered city of this world. And so Israel drove God out of their lives and said, we'll become the masters of our own land, the masters of our own world, and ultimately their own destiny. And we don't have to 
We don't have to stand up and declare this saying, God, I'm, I'm forsaking you and I'm going to do things on my own. We do this with our words and our actions when we, when we choose other things uh, instead of choosing God. When we put God second, that means God's second in our life. He's not most important. And other things are more valuable and more important than God. And so in God's eyes, if he's second, he might as well be last. There's no difference uh, than being second than being last. What God wants is the gold medal of everyone's heart, of everyone's life. And so if we offer God a silver medal, he's not going to take it. Because God only wants gold medal, and he deserves only the best, and he deserves the gold medal. And so once we put other things in front of God, we essentially are saying, God, we don't need you. We've got things. We're handling it on our own. And so Israel would begin to fall away from the God of its foundation, the very foundation to which it was birthed, the very foundation, the very reason why this nation was created and was delivered out of Egypt by the hand of God was to build himself a nation that he could govern, that he could rule over. We see this in Exodus 19. Ye have seen what I have done unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore... If you obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment, my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. This was God telling Moses on Mount Sinai to go relay the message to the people. And so when God, when he fulfilled their deliverance out of Egypt by his own hand and by his own power, therefore, since he did that, God became their foundation of a nation. He's the one who brought them out, and so they have to trust and lean upon him. Uh, His laws will become their laws, and God's commandments would become Israel's commandments. And this is why... Once they came out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, where did God lead them and direct them? He directed them to Mount Sinai. And what do we know? What happened at Mount Sinai is where God instituted the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law. And they stopped there to receive a copy of their new laws. Because they were a new nation. They, hadn't, they, don't had a, they didn't have a constitution uh, Bill of Rights, all those things. They had nothing. They had just walked out of slavery, out of that land of Egypt, and God directs them to Mount Sinai where the law is given. Okay, you're going to be a new nation now. You need laws to know how to govern yourselves and what to do and not to do. Uh, and so there they received their laws, and they got their purpose as the people of God. And so you're a free people now. But before we can go any further, before I dare take you into this promised land and to give you that land uh, where you will become this nation, I need to give you the laws and the commandments where you need to start living by because once you get my blessing, once you inherit the promised land, it's going to be a lot harder to live for me because there's still going to be nations that are there and people that are there that you you will not drive out and will therefore be a temptation for you. 
And so uh, if Israel did not get the laws of, and the commandments of God in their hearts before they got into the promised land, they would be, uh, be a lot harder to follow those laws. And so they were laying out the groundwork of who they were and who God was. And when somebody delivers you out of your situation, out of, a bond, out of your bondage, out of a hardship, uh, when they come and help you and, and pay for your uh, situation to get fixed, you should let that person uh, speak into your life. If they have any advice, it would be a good thing to listen to what they have to say because they just delivered you, they just helped you, they just brought you out of the situation that you yourself could not get out of. And here comes some help, here comes a redeemer, here comes someone to lift you up out of your situation. It would, be, uh, it would do yourself a favor to listen to what they have to say because they didn't have to do that. But by the mere grace of God and the love of God, they, they helped you out. And so if they have a word of advice for you, I would not only listen to it, but I would try to apply that and live your life by that. And so this is what uh, Israel was supposed to do. God brought them out of that bondage of slavery hundreds of years, serving another nation. And God brought them out and says, here, here's how I want you to live And they should have said, well, they did say, we will live by them, we will abide by them. They said that many times, but uh, it was a lot harder to live out as we see in Scripture. And so because uh, without the help of God, they were definitely in a lot worse situation. And so by ignoring God and ignoring His laws, you then are ignoring the very foundation that is under your feet. Because the foundation you used to stand upon was full of sand. It, it was somebody else's country, somebody else's foundation. They were uh, founded, they were standing upon the foundation of Egypt, but now they are brought out and God gives them a, a new foundation uh, and it is governed by His laws and His commandments. And so then, when you go and you submit yourself to another God, and start worshiping it, then really what you are doing is you are breaking up the foundation to which you were built upon, and you are trying to replace it with something else. Imagine coming home and you're hearing your annoying neighbor with his power tools out again, going crazy, another project he's doing late in the night, uh, making all this noise and racket, and so you decide to be Mr. and Mrs. Nosy, Walk over and see what they're doing. Maybe you have a good relationship with them. Um, And so you go over and see what they're doing. And much to your surprise, that they are drilling and they're cutting out the foundation of their home. And your thoughts are, man, that doesn't really seem very safe. Why would you start cutting away? Why would we start cutting out this foundation in this building? Uh, That doesn't seem very safe because this foundation here was poured and was designed based on this building that was uh, built here. And so uh, you can't play around with a foundation without running a risk of damaging the entire structure. 
You start messing with your foundation, then the walls can easily collapse. And, and because it doesn't have the support anymore underneath it. And you're better off moving and building a new structure somewhere else than to start messing with the foundation of the building that you are in. Well, uh, they may say, well, I don't want to move. I, I like where I'm at. Uh, I'm just, I just don't like this foundation anymore, and so I'm going to try to change it and alter it. How is it that we can understand the physical dangers of that when it comes to buildings and homes that, you know, you don't want to mess with the foundation? And uh, how can we understand the risk factor there, but side skirt when it comes to a spiritual foundation. The dangers of messing with a spiritual foundation is, is ever more real than the physical foundation. Holiness standards and, and apostolic lifestyles, oh, those may, they're not really all that important. They, they don't matter all that much. And you can go ahead and cut that out of your foundation and fill it in with whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Holiness and separation is not all that critical to the foundation uh, of, of the church and your doctrine. You can, you can still make it to heaven without wearing that or looking like that. That's what people tend to believe. Some things are not specifically tied to salvation, but if they're not... Know this, that it is mixed in with the concrete of that very foundation. And once you start messing with the foundation uh, of the word of God and the scriptures and the apostolic doctrine, then there becomes a danger in the structural integrity of the house. And so it may not seem like a big deal to do that or go there, or, oh, we can do this. It, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, but once you start messing with the foundation of the apostolic doctrine and, and lifestyle, then you can come into danger of the actual house, the actual structure starting to collapse. And that's what people don't understand. They don't realize that. And what happens is this. Somebody starts messing with the apostolic foundation most of the time, it probably starts and deals with the holiness standards, and they start chipping away. Well, you know, that doesn't really seem all that important. Stop doing these things, and you start doing other things that you uh, were told or believed that are you should stay away from. Uh, but you can try it out. It's, you know, nothing, nothing really happened. You did it once, did it twice. There's, it seems to be fine. Nothing happens. The house... Th doesn't collapse like you were told it would. Uh, you don't wake up in hell uh, and uh, your life is ruined. Uh, and so what happens is nothing immediate happens. And so then what happens is a little voice comes and starts whispering in your ear and says, see, nothing happened. You took a big chunk out of that foundation and nothing happened. God didn't strike you dead with a lightning bolt as you thought you did you would happen. Everything still seems the same. Church still goes on like normal. You still go to church, you still raise your hands, you still feel the power and presence of God moving. See, nothing really happened. That foundation or at least that part of the foundation and the doctrine and the lifestyle 
it's not as important as you thought it was. And so what happens is you start to question things as well. I did this, nothing happened. What if I take this piece out? What if I go over this bedroom and I start chipping away at that room, that foundation in that room? And so what happens is hell sees that you're willing to play with the foundation. And hell likes seeing that. Likes seeing apostolics start messing around with the foundation. And what hell will do is it will send you a demolition crew of spirits to help you. Because obviously you're looking to tear up the foundation. So you need some help with that. I don't want to tear it up by myself. That's a lot of work. And so hell will send you a demolition crew of spirits to help you out. Since you're showing hell, that's what you're doing. Uh, And so um, I can name names of people that I personally know and that I've shaken their hands and served with uh, on various things in my life. That even they used to be apostolic at one point, preached Acts 2.38, preached holiness, doctrine, uh, all that separation, all of that stuff. They still pastor churches today, but they will baptize you any way you want. A decade ago, they were Jesus' name only, but now they'll baptize you any way you want. However you want to be baptized, and, and speaking in tongues isn't all that important anymore. It's not necessarily essential Holiness standards, definitely they're, they're not existent. And those things are the ones, those are the ones that are still in church that I know of. I can't begin to tell you the ones that I went to an apostolic Bible college with who aren't living for God anymore. Who are homosexuals and have married each other. And they used to go, we used to go to the same school. The turning away from God isn't a one-time event, it's a turning that happens subtly in your heart. It's a taking away one piece at a time of your apostolic foundation and heritage, and then pretty soon at the end of the road, at the end of the day, you look back and your foundation is shattered and cracked and it's all in pieces, and it's no surprise that the apostolic church that that you that once was built comes crumbling down and then something else comes uh, built up in its stead. Uh, because when you don't submit to God's commandments and follow His laws, and you start removing God from your heart and your home and your life, ultimately it will make it known in the public realm. And so once Israel removed God from their heart and their home, and God's laws didn't matter anymore, now, now they could rewrite the laws and redefine what is right and what is wrong. If we're not listening to Jehovah's laws, let's Let's write new laws, ones that we can agree with, that ones that we like, ones uh, we can re- re- redefine what is moral, what is immoral. Without God, nothing would be holy, and for that matter, nothing would be unholy. Without Jehovah, everything's fair game. Nothing has really any purpose except the purpose to which we now want it to be. It, it used to be this yesterday, but today, hey, let's change the definition, and this, is, this works today. We'll change it tomorrow whenever we need to change it. Uh, there's really no truth to guide us any longer because we rejected the truth, and so we'll just make our own truth. And so with no true purpose, they could do whatever they want, not only with their land, but also with their lives, with each other, and with their children. 
You see, it's the word of God that says male and female, he created them. But if you get rid of the Bible, then you don't have that definition anymore, do you? If you tear down the word of God, if you get rid of it, now you don't have this intolerant, tyrannical God telling you what truth is and what is right and what is wrong. Now you can get rid of the word of that word of God and try to discredit it. Now we can have males and females and transgenders and non-binaries. And now we can have 70 other genders if we want because we got rid of the word of God. We got him out of our hearts, we got it out of our homes, and now we're in the public sphere and we can declare whatever we want to declare, write whatever laws we want because we no longer adhere to the word of God. And When that is broadcasted from the hills in your society, then you could probably say that God and his commandments are not in their hearts and are, they're not in the people's homes any longer. The hilltops declare what is in the homes. The major highways of our society declare what the major arteries of the hearts inside of us are filled with. A nation that turns from God begins replacing the invisible, the private devotion and the the private worship. They replace it with the visible and public displays of worship. Moving from faith to sight. Forget about, forget about praying to a God that you cannot see. Come on over here and worship this idol that you can see and you can touch. There's a moving, a shifting from the invisible. Now let's make something that we can see and touch because we'll, this will be our God. We can see it. We're physical beings. We need a physical God. Jehovah's invisible. We'll forget about him. Let's build our own golden calf and build our own idols, something that we can see and pray to. And so this descending, this downward spiral from an invisible spiritual faith to a visible, physical, and tangible one is manifested, is made known by materialism, by carnality, and by sensuality. If you can look around your community and see materialism, and see carnality, and see sensuality everywhere. In the public, and promoted from the hills, and you bet your bottom dollar that there ain't no prayer happening in the homes. And that they're spiritually driven by a darkness. Because if they reject God, they can now reject and overrule His law, and establish new morals, new standards of how the society should live now. Musicians, if you would come. Israel began driving out, driving God out of their public squares, out of their government, out of the instruction of their home because clearly a generation rose up that did not know God nor the works that he did for them. And so obviously God was driven out of their homes and instructing their children, whether on purpose or just by happenstance, when God is driven out of their culture and out of their lives. And when we do that, when people do that, when they push God away, they're separating their hearts and separating their homes from him, from the very one that created them. And thus we are creating a vacuum and a void has been produced in our life because that's where God used to be. 
And when we say, we don't want you, God, get out of our life, get out of our home, now there's a vacuum. Now there's a hole. Now there's a space that will be filled. It's gonna, this, this part of our being, our spirit, will always be filled by, with something. It's just a matter of what it is. It's either going to be filled by God and his spirit or it's going to be filled by some other God, some other idol, some other uh, materialistic thing in our life. And so in this absence in Israel's spirit, they brought in other gods. It's not that they stopped being religious. It's not that they stopped going to church. It's just that they stopped going to Jehovah's church. And started going to another church. It's not that they were not anti-God and became atheists. It's, it's just that they didn't like Jehovah. And they didn't like his ways. And it's, it's, not, become, it's not because they were, became atheists. It's just that they, the worship of Baal and Asheroth really appealed to their flesh. And they said, let's just go over here. They were still religious, still spiritual people. They just chose not to turn to God. And so now their lives become more and more carnal, more and more materialistic, and their, their society becomes even more broken and even more shattered and even more fragmented. Why? Because the very God who is their foundation or was their foundation now has been rejected, has been kicked out, has been kicked to the curb. And and now they are at war against the very foundation to which it stood. Israel was in real trouble and it was still a young nation. It had just gotten started compared to the other nations of the earth. And it was turning. Turning away from the God that established it. Stand with me tonight. I've been describing the nation of Israel this whole time. But I can't help to think about our country and our nation. And how much it seems to describe our nation as well. Looking around our society, I see materialism. I see carnality. I see sensuality ever, everywhere. It is being fueled and being promoted in our highways and even on our nation's hill, Capitol Hill. If America's foundation was based on idolatry and other gods, then that's one thing. And it would come to be expected, the lifestyle and society that we're in. But... If America was founded upon Judeo-Christian principles and beliefs, if the word of God was woven into our very foundation, and we look around and we see what we see, and I would say we have a problem. Then we have a nation that is just like Israel, turning from God, warring against its foundation on which it was formed and founded. And when a building or a structure no longer really serves the purpose that was built for, why should it still exist? 
why should it continue to stand if the foundation is cracked? You can do some foundational repairs, but odds are it's going to be very expensive and that doesn't guarantee it's fixed. What happens many times is if there's foundation errors or issues, it's just better just to demolish the building and to rebuild it from the ground up. And so we have a nation that is similarly like that of Israel. It seems to be turning from God and turning against its very foundation. If that is the case, then America is not in a good place with God and a turning needs to occur. A turning back to our Creator. A turning back to the one who made us and formed us and called us by name. There needs to be a turning back to prayer, uh, going, up, going back to church, and uh, a turning back to the Word of God, uh, a turning back to righteousness and holiness. And by the grace of God that we are told that in the last days, God is going to pour out His Spirit one more time. He's going to give this world one more opportunity to turn back to Him in hopes that the people will turn their hearts and they will forsake their ways and forsake their gods and turn back to God one more time. I believe that we are in these very last days. I believe that we were going to see an end time revival but that turning that we expect out there to happen that turning that we want to see in our community and in our country and in this world, that turning needs to start in my heart. It needs to start in our homes. It needs to start in our prayer closets because if we are not willing to turn back to God, then we cannot expect this nation to turn back to God. So there needs to be a turning, and it begins with the people of God. Yeah, we used to do things the way we used to, but a turning needs to take place if we want to see a true turning happen in this society, in this world. Because we are the people of God and we have the answer to everyone's problems out there, everyone's needs. Jesus, I still believe, is the answer to every situation, every problem, every heartache, every, every pain, every addiction, every, every, uh, every form of bondage. Jesus is the answer. And so we need to resurrect our hearts and revive our own prayer lives and, and ask God for a refilling and a refueling and a, a reigniting of the flame that's inside of us because our hearts need to be turned again. Our hearts need to be turned back to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we as a people of God need to step up and, and start turning to Him more. I'm not saying you weren't, but I'm just saying there needs to be a little bit more turning, a little bit more focusing on God in these last days because God's going to be pouring out His Spirit and we need to be vessels to be used by Him. If you believe that, why don't you close your eyes? Why don't you begin to worship with me as they begin to sing? We have a purpose. We are called the people of God. God has a plan for us, a plan for you. He has a calling for each and every one of us. But our hearts need to be focused on Him. Our homes need to be lit on fire with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. If we want to see a turning. Come 
Lord, how great is he. How great is his mercy. How great is his love. Oh, Jesus. understand where they are and we should ever be more grateful and willing to do what God has commanded us in his word and his law. Amen. Uh, before we go tonight, tonight is a today tonight is a bittersweet service. 
Um, it is uh, Elizabeth Mormano's last service with us. She is getting hitched, going off to a new life somewhere else. We won't say it's, we hope it's a good life, and we know it will be. A good godly man, Joshua is, so that's great. But um, uh, they feel called to go up there, help that church out. And we know that wherever she goes, she's going to be a blessing. She's been such a blessing to us, hasn't she? We love her. And uh, she has created a video uh, that she wants to show. So you may be seated. It's going to be a few minutes. So.